0: Oh man it's so good to see you guys i uh, I, I think that some of y'all are worried i 'm going to preach for three hours today and um, yeah, I am no i 'm just kidding. Um, uh, so let me share this. And this might not mean anything to you, but it, it's it's been humorous from my perspective to watch so there there is a text that's been on my heart for months. In Ephesians chapter six that, that I have felt like God keeps bringing back to the surface. Every time I have started to preach about it, I felt like, nope, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. And so this has been, it's been in the smoker for a while, for several months. And then I, I finally felt like, okay, when we get back together, this is what we're going to talk about. And so I started to, to prepare this sermon from Ephesians six on just a couple of verses. I was like, but really, we really need to look at Ephesians 4 first, and then really Ephesians 5 is what kind of makes sense of this, and then really before we get to that, I really want to look at Philippians 3, just as an introduction, and so this morning we're going to begin the introduction. (laughs) The introduction turned into two weeks worth of of sermons, Uh, maybe three, we'll see how far we get this morning, but it's just, it's been interesting to watch how God's directed me toward this, towards this text. And we're going to we're going to eventually talk about my favorite passage of Scripture. So when I grew up, people talked a lot about a life verse. I don't hear people talk about that much anymore, but people used to ask all the time, what's your life verse? If you're watching at home, you can post or comment what your life verse is. Uh, we want you to feel like you're connected, but it, maybe you don't have one because maybe you've never heard that before. But they would say, well, what's your favorite verse, you know, which is kind of funny because it kind of implies that like the rest of the Bible isn't as meaningful to you. <laughs> but whatever, um, I think it's OK to have favorites. And so the the verses that we're going to look at this morning, since I was a teenager have have been kind of my favorite verses. So I'm excited to jump in, grab your Bible this morning, and we're going to hold them up in the air. We're going to say our creed together, and it's going to be exciting to do that and actually hear you say it back, those of you who are in the room. I'm excited about that. And so grab your Bible or your device. Let's hold them up in the air, and let's say this together this morning. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind. And give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You see that? You hold up God's word and the lights come on. Isn't that the power of God's word? Isn't that something? Some of you didn't even notice that. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 begins with the Apostle Paul saying, You know what? If somebody wants to brag about having it all together about having the right spiritual resume. He said, it's me. But it doesn't mean anything. Having the best things to say about who we are spiritually, about our religious standing. This is his summary. We're going to pick it up in verse number 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 14. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. In Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not. This is verses 13 and 14. These were my life verses when, from the time I was a teenager for the last 150 years. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That upward call is the heart of this series that we're beginning this morning called Up and Up. This upward call, but I, we're not actually going to get to verse 14 this morning. So we're going to lay the groundwork to get there because here's the deal. Before we talk about verse 14, the upward call, we need the context of the text if we're going to understand the text. And so we're, we're going to work our way good old school verse by verse, work our way through this text this morning and see how far we get together. So, beginning in verse number 7 again whatever gain i had i counted as loss for the sake of christ that christ is so good that gains seem like losses compared to him that wins seem like losses compared to Jesus, that successes apart from Christ feel like failures. And i got to be honest with you, I've seen that a thousand times in my own life. That stuff that seemed like a win or seemed successful actually seemed really empty because in that moment, in that season, I wasn't connected with Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, listen, compared to Jesus, everything else is a loss. Sometimes, Stephen Furtick said, sometimes what's most important is least impressive. That the most important thing is to lay hold of Jesus, to pursue Jesus, to chase after Jesus. And here's the thing. Your family is not going to tell you. Hey, thank you for getting up early this morning and praying for me. They're probably not going to be impressed by that. Because they're probably not going to know that. Nobody's going to stop you at work and say, Hey, good job spending time in the Word of God this morning. Hey, good job. Congratulations on that that uh, Scripture reading this morning. Well done. No, they're going to applaud all the things that seem like wins. But if we live for those wins and we're not pursuing Jesus, they're actually losses. The Apostle Paul said, I've experienced what everybody would call success, and I'm telling you, I count it all loss compared to Christ. He's the win. Beginning of verse number eight, indeed, I count everything as loss. He's just talking about the bad stuff, right? No, everything. I count it as a as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, the best things in my life are good. There's just something that surpasses them in worth, namely Jesus. It's not that that there's not good things in my life. There's just something better. It's not that there's not good things in my life. There's just a good or good. And if you don't know that that's bad grammar, that's why we need the schools to reopen. (laughs) Even good things pale in comparison in in the face of the best thing. It's not that all the other stuff is bad. It's that Jesus is better. He's better. And, and and it seems in this moment in our history, in this moment in our culture, in this moment in our little world, we seem to be spending a lot of energy telling everybody what's bad about everything. We seem to be really blunt about putting everybody on blast for everything that's bad, that disagrees with us. When what I believe this world desperately needs to hear from us is the message That it's not that everything's bad. It's that Jesus is better. He's the greatest thing you could know. And if you know everything else, and if you achieve everything else, and if you have everything else, and you don't have Jesus, it's a loss. When I was growing up in the church, I confess That I heard a whole lot more about what was bad about everything. But what I want to pour my life out. Proclaiming with everything that is in me. Is that Jesus is better than anything the world has to offer. Even the good things that the world has to offer. Are not as good as Jesus. He's better. Only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human heart. It's not that everything else isn't good. It's that there's a surpassing worth. There's a surpassing goodness. There's a surpassing value that can't be found anywhere other than Christ and Christ alone. Everything else is loss. Second half of verse Verse number 8, for his sake, for the, the sake of pursuing Jesus, he says again, I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Rubbish. Such a good word. It's a word we don't use much. It sounds very British. Eh, oh, that's Rubbish. I heard you cackling over there. Rubbish. It means refuse. Where's my King Jamesers at this morning? Right? Come on, what's your Bible say? Say it loud. Dung. I've told you all before, that word brings PTSD up for me. For months of my childhood, my brothers both called me Dung in front of my parents, and they didn't catch the difference between Dug and Dung. And it is not that funny. <laughs> when I'm watching at home or speaking to a camera. I don't have to hear y'all laugh at me like that. But here's the thing from as a kid, man, when you're in church all the time, like we were growing up, you got to find humor wherever you can find it. And so when you can find humor in the Bible, and so what I remember the way the King James reads, it's that he considers everything but dung. And as a kid, when you've got the word, but and the word dung side by side, it doesn't matter that it's missing a T. Because how you say that matters, right? I consider everything else but dung, right? Or you can say, I consider everything else but dung. And that's funny. <laughs> Rubbish sounds a lot more sophisticated than butt dung, doesn't it? This is one of those words in the Bible that was actually meant to paint a picture. It's the picture of scraps being thrown to the wild dogs that would be digging through the garbage. In Bible times, dogs were not pets that we spoiled and pampered. They were raccoons. They were scavengers. In the scraps that weren't worth saving in an impoverished culture, The stuff you were willing for the raccoons to dig through. That's the other picture painted here by the word rubbish. It's garbage. And and here's, here's my whole heart this morning, church. I do not believe we will move upward in our relationship with God until we become discontent with the garbage of this world. I believe we need a holy distaste for the rubbish of the world. Y'all know the phrase one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's just something hoarders say. I hate that phrase. I'm a minimalist. My version of that says one man's trash should be everyone's trash. Leave it alone. That's what's wrong with the world. One man's trash is another man's treasure. But here's what breaks my heart this morning. I believe that most men's treasures are actually trash compared to pursuing Jesus. Many of us are spending our lives pursuing Rubbish, and we don't understand why it hasn't satisfied us. We as a culture, I think what we're best at is discontentment. We always want more, we want newer, we want faster, we want better. I get it. I'm wired to always wonder what's coming next and and what's next down the road. I have a really hard time even being present in a moment because I'm always thinking about what's next. I'm I'm that guy who many of you have seen social media has had Uh, A meme going around that says, I can't wait for sweatshirts and pumpkin spice in cool mornings, right? This morning at 5.15, I took the dog out and it was 85 degrees and heavy outside. And I thought, maybe pumpkin spice isn't that bad after all. Because it seems that the season we want is always the season that we're not in. It's cold, we wish it were hot. It's hot, we wish it were cool. And whatever time of year, we just wish college football would happen. We get the concept of discontentment. But what I believe we are in desperate, desperate need of today is holy discontent. That we would be spiritually discontent with what we have of Jesus. That we would hunger and thirst and long for and crave More of him. And that even the best stuff of life would be like rubbish compared to the pursuit of Jesus. That we would long to take hold of him. Because the more we have of Jesus, the less the stuff of this life will be uh, valuable to us. This past week, uh, Neil Childs posted something on social media, a quote I haven't read in years. Such a good reminder A quote from C.S. Lewis, where he said, "If, if Christianity is false, it's of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. The pursuit of Jesus is either everything or it's nothing. But it can't just be on the list of what we live for. That idea, that concept, completely discounts the surpassing worth of knowing Him. Even the best stuff in our life, even the best successes we've ever had in the good areas, Rubbish compared to Jesus. I and mean, that's what the prophet Isaiah said, right? Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteous deeds, the best stuff we've ever done, are filthy rags. Rubbish. It's just all about Jesus. And and, and we've set up a system where we I I think we think there's reward for doing good things, right? I grew up in, in an awards-based vision of the Christian life. Not on purpose. It was just part of it. Part of growing up in a Christian school is you get grades for memorizing Scripture. And, and it can mess with your brain. You can almost think that's how God relates to us. We can almost think that to do good things means we deserve a merit badge to put on our cubby vest. Right? I, I remember as a kid... I'm fixing to date myself here. Y'all remember sword drills? Anybody here remember sword drills? I see a couple hands, right? You younger people are like, I don't know what that means. Because y'all don't even know what a Bible is. You just use your phone. Come on. The way the sword drill worked, right? You had to hold it up in the air, but you couldn't have a thumb on on the paper. Right? Swords up. You held them up. They'd say a passage and then say, go. You'd bring your Bible down, try to find that passage. First one, stand up and say it. Well done, Johnny. You know the books of the Bible. You other losers. (laughs) They never said that. This is a true story. Like, we're back in church. I'm telling the truth. Listen, I remember them calling out a passage that I had memorized. (laughs) And I pretended like I found it and just started quoting it. The wages of sin is death. What the, dude, you're in Deuteronomy. Oh. I cheated at the sword drill. Think about that. I lied about finding God's holy word so that I could win. That's what happens when we end up with this awards-based view of pursuing Jesus. And we think somehow that like, I'm a good person because I don't watch those kind of movies. I don't say those potty words. Even if I step on a Lego, I shall not. Whatever. Everybody curses me step on a Lego. <laughs> and, and, and here's what I think about those good things. Matt Chandler said it this way. He said, don't play with tools instead of digging for treasure. All those good things are just tools, but the treasure is Christ. Listen, gathering together is a crucial tool in the spiritual life, but Christ is the treasure. Spending time in God's word is a crucial tool. And my heart breaks for how many people I talk to who spend no time in God's word. Listen, this is a crucial tool, but this isn't the treasure. Christ is the treasure. Prayer is a crucial tool, but Christ is the treasure. Worship music that stirs our heart and points us towards Jesus and away from the rubbish of this world is a crucial tool. But Christ is the treasure. Holiness, living right, being obedient to the minded will of God is a crucial tool. But Christ is the treasure. Being here is not the point. Christ is the point. And everything else, even the best things, compared to having more of Him, is rubbish. That we might gain Christ. I love that wording gain. Everything else is loss. (laughs) I just want more of Jesus. And, and, and unless the idea of gaining Christ sounds like we're earning our salvation, the Apostle Paul clarifies in verse 9, "...and be, be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or merit badges, but that which comes through faith in Christ." The righteousness from God that depends not on being good, depends on faith in His goodness. And then here's the heart cry of sworn in verse 10, that I may know him. Do we long to know him today? Just recently, a, a bunch of songs from just one generation ago have been brought back into my life. And I've realized that so much of our modern music is missing it desperation for Christ. Just recently I was reminded of the song from way back in the 90's. Knowing you Jesus knowing you there is no greater thing to know Him. Because to know Him is to be content with how much we know Him. And to be hungry to know Him more. He's the God who satisfies us and leaves us thirsting and hungering for more. To know Him and the power of His resurrection. Good grief. We need a dose of resurrection authority in the church of Jesus Christ today. The power of the death defeater. Woo! To know him and the power of his resurrection. Sign me up. And that we might share in his sufferings. Wait, hold the phone. (laughs) I'm down to know more of Jesus. I want to know about the power of the resurrection. But this share in his sufferings fine print, I don't know. I need a minute to think about this. Become like him in his death. Whoa, wait, I thought we're supposed to become like Jesus in our life. The fact that we think we can live a life without suffering reveals that we think we can live better than Jesus lived. We can't know Jesus apart from suffering. And you would agree with me, you may not like it, but if you'll be honest, you'll agree with me when I say, the places I've come to know Christ best have been the hardest places. Her T.D. Jakes say this week, we keep begging God to get us out of a place he went to all kinds of trouble to get us in. He let us walk through the suffering so that we might long for him, that we might grow a distaste for everything this life and this world has to offer, that we might desire more of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I just want to know him, not him and perfect health, not him and the American dream, not him and no problems, not him and successful kids, whatever that means, not him and getting my way, not him and a perfect marriage where neither of us act like we're sinners, not him and no, we want Jesus and everything that comes with Jesus. Not I want to know Him and paradise here and now. No, I want to be content with Christ while I'm waiting for paradise. He's the prize in this life and in the next. And the thing about the power of the resurrection is it's useless unless we're tasting of death. we got to walk through some suffering to truly experience Jesus. And I I would ask two questions this morning as, as we're going to stop there in the text. There's so much more in my heart, but we'll pick back up next week. I would ask first and foremost, do you know for sure that you've begun a relationship with Jesus through saving faith? Are you dependent on your good works? Are you dependent on your merit badges? Are you dependent on some good thing that you've done or are doing or will do? Or are you fully and utterly and completely dependent on Jesus? and the work of the cross. If you don't know for sure that you've experienced what Jesus calls being born again, then in a moment we're going to sing about the the power of the presence of God in our lives. And as we sing that, there will be some men and women in the prayer room in the back. If you're in the room, if you're online, there's a link that says, can we talk? You can click that, fill that out, and we'll connect with you. If you don't know for sure you have a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing in the world that matters more to us today. Than to have that conversation with you. If you do know that you have a relationship with Jesus, then, then here's my question this morning. How hungry are you for more of Him? Is He your heart's desire? And I'm going to ask it this way. And this isn't meant to guilt trip anybody. I'm going to ask you the question... Ask you the question that the Holy Spirit's been reckoning me with for the last week or two: Has there ever been a season in your life that you hungered for God more than you do right now? And here's my confession to you, as your pastor this morning: Yes, survival mode doesn't make for a vibrant spiritual life. Trying to just get through and get to the other side doesn't make for spiritual vitality. And I know about you, but what I need is a dose of passion for Jesus above everything else, beyond the circumstances, beyond the situation, to know Him. And and if you cannot say before God, there's never been a season in my life I've desired the presence of God more than right now, then my encouragement to you is this. I believe that all across this room and wherever you're watching from today, the best thing we could do is take a knee together and say, God, make me hungry for more of you. I want everything else, even the best things, to almost seem like rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of pursuing you. God, make us hungry for you.